I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Peter Moran. I'm Rick Kelly. And we love to watch. We love to watch Gary Busey in a position of power. Magic people, voodoo people. How you doing? What's going on, guys? It's our fourth guest episode. We're super excited. The fourth is the best one, Rick. Um, I know. It's true. When we contacted Rick initially, he didn't ask what movie we were doing. He just asked, okay, I want to make sure three people come on before me, before we really do this. Pretty accurate. Pretty accurate. It's never good to be the first one to do something. I don't want to be like the first dude on the moon. I want to be like number four, exactly. Yeah. It's never good to be the second or the third either. You always got to go always for it. I, the I think first the guy f- might have just totally, totally beat fate somehow. Like you might, you might have like basically beat the house by not having it be a total catastrophe. But by number four, you think the the odds are kind of in your favor. Yeah, so something's yeah. gonna terrible is gonna happen. It's gonna happen the first three times probably. <laughs> yeah, and then and then if it's gonna happen again, the fifth time. Yeah, fourth fourth <laughs> is really the safety spot the because sweet, the sweet by the spot. by the fifth time people get really like, oh, this has worked four times now. We can get really lazy with our our double checks sure. and the, and to make sure the safety regulations are being followed like they just go to space now so the fifth one is where you know you you don't check your work things get careless overconfident and die yep so our next or our next guest if, uh, Zach watch out <laughs> yeah watch out sorry sorry Zach or if you're in my life uh, you just keep making the same mistakes and then hope that the fourth fifth sixth and seventh try will be the one that actually takes yeah and, and Peter works at NASA we should say he's the the reason we haven't gone to the moon in a long time is is mostly his fault it was so it was a lot of cost cutting measures it was a lot of wanted to check out at 4:30 yeah and it keeps it keeps moving which is very makes it very hard to land on space um, <laughs> oh, do, you think, do you think the astronauts at NASA give people bad looks when they check out at 4:30 <laughs> yes <laughs> they're like uh, yeah you might want to give this one an extra 20 30 minutes <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe Maybe at least pretend like you're doing your equations over there. Um, so, so, anyways, thank you so much for joining us, Rick. Um, before we get going on our, uh, I'm just going to say wildly popular segments now. I mean, no one's complained about them in weeks. I, I feel like people, they're really catching on. People are loving them. Uh, I hear it on the street all the time. People come up to me and are like, great segments. So, before we get started, let's, let's let uh, our audience get to know Rick a little bit more. So, Rick, why don't you tell us three things about yourself? Uh, sure. Okay. I know you folks through the Dissolve. I guess I, I'm a Dissolver, part of that community, and that's how this came to be. I run a website called LudditeRobot.com, not .gov, as you pointed out in the last episode, Aaron, <laughs> which I appreciate. Um, yeah, I don't want to confuse anyone. Yeah, no, it's good. It's good. And that's uh, basically movie reviews, various thoughts, and 
reflections, interviews, and assorted nonsense um, related to film is what I do. And uh, I don't know. I live uh, I live in the East Bay. I used to live in Minneapolis. Um, someone's fair city. Yours, Aaron, I think? Yes, yeah, mine. Yeah. yeah. You know, I used to live in Minneapolis for a while, and now I live out here on the West Coast. And uh, basically watch a bunch of movies and do this kind of nonsense. And have you lived in an apartment or a dorm at some point in your life? Yeah, uh, both. I live in an apartment now. I once lived in a dorm. Good. Thanks, Rick. Oh, thank God. Yeah. You're, you're a quality guest. Then. Yeah, no one, one of those, those garbage I, people like Dustin. I know. When I heard that, I breathed a sigh of relief because I knew I qualified. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, thank God. They don't disapprove of my residential yeah. policies. <laughs> yeah. I actually didn't used to live in an apartment. I moved into one specifically for this episode. Oh, oh thank God. God. It just so happened that your lease on your house. Yeah. My, my uh, parents, my parents, a couple months ago, my parents gave me a house, but I gave it back just yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, you just, I just want to feel authentic. Yeah. I don't want to lie to people right. on a podcast. So I, but I also don't want to feel bad about myself for a couple seconds. So yeah, I mean, this podcast is about <laughs> integrity of nothing else. So I wanted to keep that going. <laughs> yep. We he should, have, we it, should Aaron. add a third he pillar. Gets it. Yeah. yeah. We should add a third pillar. Um, yeah. Integrity. And science and research. Right. And speaking of speaking of research, so uh, once again, <laughs> we love to watch classic classic thing where we have not mentioned what, what we're talking about this week. Uh, we will be talking about Predator 2, uh, the movie from 1990, directed by uh, Stephen Hopkins, who has directed a ton of weird movies, which uh, do not seem to fit together. He's just one of those people. You're like, oh, he also did Lost in Space. Judgment um, Night. Which feels like... Yep, Judgment Night. And of course, uh, if you if you are going to have a weird filmography, you also have to have one Freddy or Jason movie. And he did direct Nightmare on Elm Street 5. Uh, I believe that was his debut. So we're going to get into that movie shortly. Before we start, we're going to do one of our wildly popular segments. And I have, again, a reoccurring quiz prepared for uh, Rick and Kelly. This is our favorite. Hey, is this a movie someone's been in or hasn't? Uh, and this one is about Danny Glover. And Danny Glover was kind of a weird one for this where a lot of times when I put this together it, it usually is like Charles Bronson was an example where his entire filmography was kind of littered with stuff that you probably haven't heard of but some of that is just based on when he started making movies Tony Todd was kind of like that too uh, Danny Glover was a lot more of like basically the first 25 years if you look at his filmography you, you guys would have probably recognized every movie it's only in the last five or six where he's doing a lot more straight to video stuff stuff that I've never heard of his his end of career uh, filmography kind of looks like a lot of people's beginning of of their career filmography which is sad because Danny Glover is awesome but either way we are going to capitalize on his career slump and play this game so um, are you guys ready to play real or fake Danny Glover movie oh for sure that's going to be a pass <laughs> all right well Rick wins are you yes. sure Peter are you sure because Rick just won a game and you lost I will withdraw my resignation <laughs> do, from do, this game do the winners of these games get anything I've always been curious or is this just oh yeah like, definitely you know? we just can't talk about it because oh. for legal reasons okay because okay. uh, cool. uh, we, we are not we don't want to have to people claim the taxes on it yeah you, you, um, have, to, you have to fill out the, the thing about raffles on your taxes nobody wants to do that yeah, yeah so just if you're listening there's no prizes wink um, and also I just realized that Peter is Marty McFly from 
from Back to Future 2 and 3, specifically. Saying that he lost a game can get him to do anything, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I meet uh, Aaron finally next week, and to celebrate that uh, the comparison to Marty McFly, I'm going to dump an entire truck full of manure on you. That's going to be a long... That's going to really hurt your gas mileage on the drive to Chicago. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's seven hours with manure, um, I, and I know you don't have a truck, so you got to rent a truck, and I mean, manure's not free, I'd imagine. Or and geez, so wait, that why, why can't I get the manure in Minnesota? Do you guys not do that? Uh, <laughs> nope, we're out. <laughs> Minnesota, Minnesota state law. It's a manure-free yeah, state. <laughs> yep, it's, it's the great manure shortage of 2016. You haven't been reading the papers, obviously, Peter. <laughs> All right, so we'll get started. We'll, we'll do the, the normal, I'll ask each of you five, real or fake, uh, and tell me if it's real or fake. That's a great way to describe the game show, Aaron. Who wants to start? I would love to start. All right. Heart of Blackness, real or fake Danny Glover movie? <laughs> uh, fake. Real. How? <laughs> well, uh, because someone pointed a camera at Danny Glover, uh, shot a movie, and then said, let's name it Heart of Blackness. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, is, is it a riff on Heart, Heart of Darkness? Uh, I do not know. <laughs> It is. It's again. I do no research on the actual movies. That would take way too much work. I am just looking for titles. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. This way we can be more rapid fire. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Instead of having long conversations about each entry. Get bogged uh, down. Get bogged down in facts. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm about research. I don't want to get bogged down in facts. Yeah. I'm about learning the facts, not knowing the facts. Right. Um. All right, Rick. You are. It is zero to zero. Rick, your first one. The Good Christian. Uh, that sounds that sounds fake to me. It is fake. That yes. is correct. It's, the real title is the All Right Christian. It's the Good Catholic. The heart of uh, the heart of Christianity. <laughs> yes, the heart of Christianity. <laughs> it's, that's the real heart of it's darkness. Still that's some sort of commentary here. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're going to alienate all your Christian listeners, geez. Yeah, don't listen to the end of episode nine if you don't want that to happen already. Um, so it is 1-0. Rick is winning. Peter. Space Warriors. Real. That is correct. It, it was so generic that I knew a movie had to have had that title, so I just winged it. Man, you sounded so, well, you know, uh, sounded so intense again, about I'm that. I'm not looking at every movie. I'm, <laughs> I'm not checking my fake ones against movies that actually exist. So it's a real or fake Danny Glover movie. Rick, I have a fun system where even if I'm wrong, I tell myself I'm right, so I get to just feel good all the time. No, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> so even if he said it was a fake title, I would have just been like, ah, oh, ah, oh, ah, oh, but actually... <laughs> That's good for everything in your life. Just like, no, I got this job. I'm coming in. <laughs> Security just likes me. They just want to hang out. So, Rick and Peter, you are tied. It's Rick's turn. Mm -hmm. Age of Dragons, real or fake Danny Glover movie? I think it's real. It is real. <laughs> Correct. It is two, two, one. Uh, Peter. Your turn. Reign Supreme. Real or fake Danny Glover movie? Fake. It is fake. Yep. What, what is it riffing on? I That was just a straight... Now I'm just making stuff up. Oh, nice. It's not, it's not riffing on stuff. I'm so well, proud of you. Except the good Catholic that was. That one was not, though. <laughs> All right. It was, <laughs> follow that logic. All right. 2-2. Two, two. 
Rick, your turn. Yep. SOS, Sites of Death. SOS, Sites of Death. Um, that sounds too stupid to be fake. I think it's real. That is real. Yep. Cool. SOS colon Sites of Death. That's the, they couldn't even... I, it's a terrible yeah. title. It's really bad. It is a terrible title. They should have at least made the last word an S. Yeah. So it seemed like SOS... Or, or they should have changed it to SOD, Sites of Death. Well, they couldn't call a movie Sod, Sites of Death. That's also stupid. They actually just should have called it something entirely different. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Peter. It is three to two. Rick has Wait, got on, every. Don't, don't say it. Don't say it. I, I'm gonna say. It. I'm gonna say that it's real, and then you say the title, and then you tell me whether or not it's right, and then you just go ahead okay. and believe you're, it's real. <laughs> yeah. All Either right, way, uh, it's fine for me. Okay. It's uh, real. Well. Night flight terror at 10,000 feet is fake, so that is incorrect. <laughs> oh, so close on that one, Peter. Uh, it is, it is uh, three to two. Rick, your turn. Okay. Dear Alex. Fake. That is fake, correct. Oh, I, batting a thousand. This is awesome. You were batting a thousand. This is this is really good. This is like watching uh, some pitcher in a baseball pitcher perfect game. Yeah, it's um, the greatest day of my life. Yep, I could I couldn't think of an actual pitcher who had pitched a perfect game. Yeah, so. yeah. can you tell us more it's about a, baseball? It's never happened. <laughs> yeah. So what you do is uh, you want to get to uh, fourth base. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, Peter, your last one. Highland Park. Real. That is real. I feel like I didn't do a very good job on this one. That's what I'm thinking. Aaron, baby, don't see that. (laughs) (laughs) It could have been tied 4-4, but because Peter uh, answered before I had even decided what the question was going to be. He threw the game like some sort of cheating baseball player. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really happy to have uh, soundly won this game. Thank you very much, everyone. (laughs) Rick still got his perfect game. Yeah. So, Rick. Yeah. I didn't know that there could be a perfecter game, and I got it. Thank you very much for playing, Rick. Yeah, absolutely. It was my my great pleasure. Uh, But Peter doesn't know. We don't even release this podcast. This is just all his therapy that we're doing. (laughs) These are tapes later. But it's mine, too. That's what you guys don't know. Yeah. You can join it. It's good to have other people come on on his therapy sessions. Yeah. Um, for a perfect game on is this a real or fake movie okay this is a catchy title um it's a lot of pressure I wanna be a warrior I wanna be a warrior yep I think it's fake it is fake yeah Goddamn right, wow. it's fake. Wow, Peter. <laughs> I'm, I'm also suspicious now that guests are coming on and looking at filmographies of our actors because I, I feel like we play this game too much. I, w- I would never do that. Integrity. <laughs> Research, science, and integrity. I would never do it. Uh, yeah, well, thank you. Um, I, we're going to have to start picking like like an extra. Like, John Johnson. Was he an extra in this movie? <laughs> um, I'll go through the other ones really quickly. You guys can shout out real or fake. Uh, Checkmate. Real. Correct. Down for life. Real. Correct. I'm just scared. Are you, you on know? his filmography, Peter? No. I swear to God. Okay. Chasing Shakespeare. Fake. Real. 
Chasing Shakespeare. Finally. Finally, the host gets a point. <laughs> <laughs> um, unknown target. Fake. Correct. Uh, Hilltop Gospel. It sounds pretty real. It is fake. Ah. Um, and the last one is Child of Mourning. Real. Fake. Uh, I was going to hope. This just shows me that I've seen a sad amount of Danny Glover movies. Yeah. Need to, I don't know a single one. You know, essentially, you've seen a sad amount of Danny Glover movies from uh, 2010 to present. <laughs> I only know that he was in a ba- it was in a sequel to Badass, the Danny Trejo he was, vigilante yeah. movie. Just old people beat up uh, gangsters. We should do that. I mean, we should have a whole month of uh, Charles Bronson and other geriatric murderers. That would be a good team. I think you should do it. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know if Peter told you, Aaron, but I actually also brought a quiz. I don't know if you want to do this or not, but once Dustin... Yeah, no, I do want to do it, yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Let's do it, Rick. Do Level it. one guest spring quiz. Yeah, because I, I thought I... <laughs> I thought I was just going to show up and talk about Predator 2, but then, you know, here comes Dustin bringing something to the table, and I felt like a, a guy at a potluck who didn't bring, you know, pie. So... <laughs> yeah, and also, you you don't need... I mean, this is a podcast. You didn't need to show up anywhere. You were probably already at your house. <laughs> well, that's true. I don't know. Could you let me in? I've been out here forever. <laughs> <laughs> it's cold. It's so cold. <laughs> Rick, what game have you brought us today? Okay. So, yeah. Um, so, mine's very simple. It's a yes or no as well. It's actually very quite similar to yours, um, but it's a little different. It's basically uh, quotes referring to uh, to different things from, from critics and what have you, and you have to say whether it refers to Predator 2 or not. Oh, that's a great game. Okay. And that's awesome. And if it doesn't refer to Predator 2, I think you could uh, get an extra point if you know what it does refer to. So there's, okay. a, there's a twist for you. Alright, who wants to go first? Uh, I'll go first. Okay, cool. Please do, Aaron. There you go. So, uh, here's the, the quote. Tough guys and one take-no-shit female clench their jaws and unleash massive firepower. Cat and mouse games play out with minimum fuss and maximum carnage. I mean, that feels like Predator 2. Is that, is that your answer? <laughs> yep. <laughs> no, in fact, that's Predators from 2010. It's uh, oh. David Fear and Time Out. Not Predator 2, Predators. That's a pretty great line, though, describing that movie. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. I, re- I really like that. That was a good poll. Uh, okay, here's another one. Uh, for Peter, uh, a grim- can, I, can I just ask a question? Oh, Are yes. all the other ones going to be Predators? Which no. is why we're going to be wildly confused. Many of them are, <laughs> but okay. not all. So, yeah, you do have to keep that in mind. Uh, a grimly incoherent pile of urban blowout cliches. Uh, I'm going to say it's not about Predator 2. That is about Predator 2. Another point for me. That's, uh... Was that, <laughs> was that Ebert? No, that was actually Owen Gleiberman from Entertainment Weekly oh. panning okay. Predator 2. Wow. So, yeah, the, re- the reviews yeah, People were... did not care for this movie. <laughs> the reviews were apparently savage for this movie. That, that's one of the things we'll discover over the course of this quiz. Back to you, Aaron. Still tied at zero. It moves at a breakneck pace and has strong and simple characterizations. It has good location photography and terrific special effects, and it supplies what it claims to supply an effective action movie. I'm going to say it's not Predator 2. It is not. That's Roger Ebert uh, enjoying the first Predator. Oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't think anyone would have been that positive about the movie in 1990. Yeah, as soon as I just I'd said a second ago that these are going to be negative, and I realized that that was probably a giveaway. I shouldn't have said that. Well, but, when when even when it's 26 percent on even current day Rotten Tomatoes, like I think I think any of the uh, praises are going to be just like serviceable. <laughs> 
much. Doesn't make you want to kill yourself. Um, okay, so one to zero. At least, Dan- at least Danny Glover is not starring in SOS. <laughs> Better than SOD. Yeah, SOD. Sights of death. All right. Um, next one. Uh, a vast improvement. It keeps with the momentum and uses a bigger budget just to improve on what has already been done. I guess to you, Peter. Uh, I'm gonna say it is about. Uh, I'm gonna say it is about Predator Two. No, unfortunately, it is not. Uh, that is What's it about? that is um, illustrious IMDb user B Bickley thirteen nine two one five eight six six four describing badass three badasses on the bayou, which we've just discussed. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! Noted, God, noted reviewer. Noted reviewer. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but you know, so that's good. If you want to check out Badass Three, um, that guy liked it. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, a trusted opinion from someone who uh, couldn't come up with more nouns for their <laughs> username that they had to just throw in numbers. Just <laughs> Bickley thirteen nine twenty one, etc. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So, still one to zero, Aaron. You got another one? Uh, anyone who hoped to create the most mindless, mean-spirited action film of the holiday season? I'm just going to say it's, it's Predator it, it is, in fact, Predator <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's the New York Times. Um, did, did not care for Predator 2. Um, the second I heard mean-spirited, the, the second I heard mean-spirited, that seemed to be the uh, catchphrase yeah. around this movie when it came out. <laughs> yeah, it's spirit. is not It's not a kind-spirited movie. For sure. Uh, all right. Still time to catch up, uh, Peter. So next one. Count me out of the fan club for this one. To me, it is one extremely violent, protracted attack on the senses. Uh, sure. It's about Predator 2. That is Gene Siskel panning aliens. What? <laughs> yeah. What a garbage person. I'm, I'm glad he's dead. <laughs> he, he, added, uh, he added for your enjoyment. Uh, some people have praised its technical excellence. Well, the Eiffel Tower is technically impressive, but I wouldn't want to watch it fall apart on people for two hours. Not a fan of aliens. Wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, actually, Jesus, I'm actually is... glad he is dead so that he didn't have to hear stuff like that so commonly on the internet. <laughs> what I just said about him. Um. Okay, so two to one. I got a couple more. Since the villain is imaginary, but the people who made this film are not, it speaks sadly of their own lack of curiosity and imagination. I mean, I'm that, sure. f- that f- well, it's my turn, Peter. <laughs> I'm gonna go. <laughs> Anyone can go. It's a round robin. Actually, um, I- I'm, I'm gonna say it's not Predator Two. No, that is Predator Two. That's uh, Roger Ebert. Cared for the first one, not so much the second. Should have taken my lead, Aaron. Should have listened to the man I- with no points. Okay, just got a couple more and I'll stop. But these are funny, so I gotta do it. Attention must be paid when a movie is as aggressively awful as this. Though it's so pinheaded that it could be the last of its inbred line, it's not likely to spawn. Um, I'm gonna say it's about Alien versus Predator. I'll, I'll, hold on, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say it's not about Predator Two. Is, is it about a Hellraiser movie? No, it's about neither. But it's not about Predator Two either. You're both right on that score. Do you just want to keep guessing what it is, in, in fact, about? I just um, figured so they used is, pinheaded that it was going to be about some sort of hellraiser. Oh yeah, it's a good yeah. I, that's a good idea. Uh, that's so is it about species? No, it's actually about Harry and the Hendersons, also starring Kevin Peter oh, Hall. I like to picture Rick spending hours at the library going through microfilm <laughs> to find Harry and the Henderson reviews just for this one line in this quiz. Oh, I don't have to do that. I, he took, I have, a, day, I have a, he book took full a day off work. <laughs> First of all, I don't have a job, and secondly, uh, I have a book full of Harry and the Henderson quotes just next to my bed. 
Oh, okay. That's what I read. It's called Harry Harry for you. Yeah. As you would. Yeah, as you do. Thank you very much, Rick, for bringing that game. That was an absolute blast, actually. We might end up stealing that format for future games because it was so worthwhile. You got it. The quotes that you pulled were fairly vicious. Yeah. One one of the things... One of the things... Well, there actually were... um, There's a good review of it also in the Washington Post, but for the most part, yeah, pretty pretty brutal. Yeah, so let's start talking about the movie. second recap predator moves to a new jungle this time the predator also loses <laughs> i feel like i feel like that was so bad you could have just done the tagline the predator's coming to town with a few days to kill the predator's been around for like hundreds of years we find out he's not really killing time he's he's seemingly enjoying himself yeah I also just like the notion that he's coming to town. Like, you know, like Santa Claus. He's just coming to town, you know? Oh, here, sure. Here comes the here comes just, Predator. I just got an email from my old work buddy, Predator, and he wants to crash on our couch for a couple weeks. Oh. What do I tell him? Don't reply. Don't reply. Yeah. Does he know about Airbnb? Every time he comes in, he just gets drunk and talks about his ex-girlfriend. It's been like five years, dude. Get over Get it. Fuck over it, Predator. For real. And he just stays in the shower with his invisible thing on and takes us forever to notice. <laughs> yeah. It's not a gag. It's not funny. You never know. It's an dead. invasion of privacy. <laughs> How many times do I turn or- on the shower just to have water bouncing around in the air? <laughs> Predator. <laughs> All right, I'll do the ninety second. Uh, I'll do the ninety second recap. So, um, this is another Predator movie. This time, instead of being out in the jungle, they're in the urban jungle of future Los Angeles, the future year of nineteen ninety seven, and there's basically a uh, gang full of racist characters that are uh, ruling the city and kind of turning it into a war zone. And Danny Glover and Bill Paxton, and they have a detective team, and they end up finding out they go to investigate the drug cartel and all the drug dealers are essentially dead and they think there's a new player in town who's trying to insert himself into the 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 drug trade game this happens again later when they go to another place the known drug dealer drug kingpin um and they're all dead they're all hanging up upside down so they start investigating what's going on. Eventually, uh, Bill Paxton's character uh, dies on a subway. Gary Busey is running this government agency who's also investigating what's going on. And they find out that, hey, guess what? The predator from the first one that they, this team knew about, that that encounter with the predator, and said that they believe they've tracked another one. And they have this big trap uh, involving freezing him in order to get their alien technology. Uh, the trap goes poorly. But Danny 
Glover ends up taking out this predator and chasing him back to his ship where he kills him. From there, other predators show up and are like, hey, good game. Uh, and then they give him a prize and then they blast off and Danny Glover goes about his life. That was a pretty good 90 second recap, Aaron. Thank you very much. I think you were extra thankful uh, on that one because I was accidentally rude to you on your five second recap. So you're like kind of showing me like, here's what a person expressing gratitude sounds like. <laughs> so like, here's what like a, a human being with a dignity and respect sounds like. Uh, take some notes for next week, you human garbage. Yeah. No, I think it's fair. <laughs> Kill him with I wrote, kindness. I wrote it down in my notes. Uh, stop being human garbage. Good, good note. Uh, I thought so people yeah, from let's... Minnesota were nice, Aaron. Well, see, Minnesota nice is actually means that we're sarcastic and assholes, but like we kind of do it in a very passive aggressive way. Yeah, and you never take oh, you, nice. they never take the last thing off the plate, but they look at you, you know, like really like you're they an asshole. You. you do. Yeah, it's the worst. So let's start talking about our experience with this movie because I don't I don't believe that this was a first time watch for any of us. And I'll, I'll just say straight off the bat, I, I'll go. I uh, I watched the Predator movies I think in high school for the first time. I've said since I saw them that I liked the second one better than the first one, which is kind of an opinion that not that many people share, as indicated by a lot of the reviews that Rick read. Um, I think the reaction I get most often when I tell people that I believe that is that I'm a crazy person. Uh, so I actually rewatched Predator and Predator 2 uh, before we recorded. And I gotta say, I stand by that opinion. I really do like the first Predator movie. I think the idea of Predator in a big city with a bigger set of players and a lot more uh, stuff can happen. I, I just find the whole thing more conceptually interesting to me than a group of people out in the jungle that he's picking off one by one. Uh, again, Predator's great. It has some great scenes. The half-hour finale is fantastic. I think Predator 2 is is the exact kind of sequel that you want, where it takes some components that work well in the first one and kind of uh, then, now that everyone's familiar with what the Predator does, what his powers are, what his goals are, tweaks it and makes more interesting things happen with it, uh, uses his power more interestingly, and it's not, to me, it's not surprising that that was done as effectively as it, as it was, because the people who wrote the first Predator uh, wrote the second one, so they were kind of taking their initial idea um, and and blowing it up, and I think it was extremely successful. Thank you, Aaron. So, Rick, do you want to maybe run down your experience with the movie overall and uh, sort of your experience with the series in general? Yeah, sure. Yeah, like Aaron, it's not a not a first viewing for me, but I saw the first Predator a bunch when I was younger, and I didn't really remember Predator 2 very well. I think I saw it at a friend who had uh, collected a whole bunch of, you know, sci-fi and action and horror on, you know, VHS, and they would just be on all the time. Um, I think Predator 2 was one of those where I remembered scenes, but I didn't really, didn't, like, leave any particular impression, whereas Predator I saw a bunch. And I couldn't agree more watching Predator 2 now. It's so much more. I, wa I also watched the first one again and the second one in preparation as part of my research, in addition to looking up all the Harry and the Hatterson quotes and 
<laughs> everything else. So I watched the boat, and it takes everything and it blows it up to ludicrous proportions. And uh, it has a lot of problems, but it keeps my attention a lot more than the first one did. I had actually watching the first one again. I thought it was pretty excruciatingly boring for much of it. Didn't work a lot. I thought Schwarzenegger's one-liners like weren't that funny, nor were Shane Black's litany of vagina jokes. And like this was so ridiculous and over the top that I was entertained the whole way through, even if it wasn't maybe the greatest film that's ever been made. But I had a, I had fun watching it. Yeah, I, awesome. I do. I do think that the original Predator. It's that last half hour when people talk about how much they love it. I remember reading somewhere recently that said, "Hey, I can't. I can't believe how quick the the team dies in Predator." And that's not true because it is an hour and ten minutes into the movie. It's just the part that sticks with you and the part that you leave the theater or turn off your DVD player thinking how great it was. In my opinion, is that last half hour, which is great. You do want to end big, and I think Predator succeeds at that. But man, that first hour, hour and ten minutes, I, I agree, it is just excruciatingly uh, boring. And there's just between the characters aren't that likable. What they're doing with the predators not that interesting at that moment. I, it's good, but yeah, I think the crazy chaos of the second one vastly improves the formula. Also, as far as the you know the enormous climax goes, Predator Two doubles down on that as well. Because instead of yeah. a thirty minute climax, you get what like a forty five minute climax. So that's awesome too. Mm-hmm. Right. Peter, you're great. Uh, you're a wonderful human being. What did you think about Predator Two? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I grew up with this series. Like a lot of people, I saw the entries kind of young. It was always sort of the entry, the series was always sort of second fiddle to the Alien series. I, I do have more affinity for the Alien series in general, but I've always really liked the Predator series because I'm a horror movie guy, and to me, it just felt like uh, the first two movies are essentially just slasher movies. And so I always sort of read them as these like sci-fi slasher movies. And watching the first movie, it's got an interesting sort of tenor where it starts as a commando-esque Arnold and a team of, of badasses go in and just steamroll a bunch of really broadly painted terrorist types in the jungle. And it's like so boring. There's sort of like an Expendables movie in that there's no uh, inertia to it. It's just sort of, oh, then we killed these guys. Well, then we killed these guys. And it does serve a purpose in the sense that it lets you see that these guys are the best of the best. So then when they get just taken apart, I get why the beginning of the movie is sort of the way it is. Because yeah, when they get taken apart, you're like, oh shit, this this Predator thing must be really badass if it can take these guys apart. But it, it, the movie just takes so fucking long to get there. Like it proves the point over and over and over again that these guys are badasses and then just takes that apart. And this movie, Predator 2, is almost the same length, I think, as the first one, which to me is insane considering. I, w- I think I was the one who said, Aaron, that the, the team gets taken apart pretty quickly. I meant within close proximity to one another. Oh, the, once the Predator starts killing. Once the Predator sets in, he gotcha. stops, you know, he, he decides that it's time to strike. Team kind of gets taken apart pretty quickly, slimmed down pretty quickly. And that sequence sh- sh- in the first movie, I feel like should be much earlier. But yeah, Predator 2 has some, some bigger problems, but I always liked it more as a kid because it tapped into a bunch of core interests of mine, one of which was any sort of 80s era movies where crime is blown up to insane proportions and, you know, just five, ten years down the line, everything is going to be insane, which a lot of that comes from me loving the Warriors and Escape from New York so much as a kid. That And um, chaos in general. Yeah, and chaos in general. <laughs> Children love chaos. Uh, what but, if there uh, were no rules, man? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> so this movie taps into that, which I think is way more interesting to have these coked out, insane drug battles going on in the streets of LA than to have just this sort of bland, missing in action ask opening. I think the last act of this movie is kind of sloppy, and we'll get into that more later, but I think overall it's a way more enjoyable movie, and it has all of the same thrills of the first movie, minus Arnold, obviously, but uh, it still scratches that all those itches that I think okay. that you would want from a sequel. Yeah, I, it, definitely. It, it does what sequels should do. It's not repeating the formula of the first one. It's taking the idea and putting it in a different setting while proving on the knowledge that the audience has of uh, the premise, I think, essentially. I do love that, like, in the, the late 80s and the early 90s, that everyone just kind of assumed that eventually our metropolises would completely break down into pure warfare and chaos. Sure. Um, like, they really... You look at the amount of movies in that time, like uh, Demolition Man or um, Escape from New York. I mean, there was just a ton of um, strange days that was like, these are not set in the distant future. It was like, hey, in a couple years, the shit's going to get crazy. And the audience was like, yeah, no, it's definitely going to get crazy. Yeah, and they're going to they're gonna have like crazy guns, you know what I mean? Or they're, they're not even yeah. crazy guns. They're kind of like regular guns, except a little bit bigger and weirder. That's going to happen in a couple yeah. of years was kind of a presumption, you know? Yeah, like uh, Danny Glover is just running around with a Desert Eagle with a scope on it, yeah. and that's just one of his his arsenal. Uh, we'll talk about how ridiculous this movie is, but he just has an arsenal of big guns in his trunk. Like none of those are standard issue. Not 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 cops today. Not big enough, he says when he's going trying to find the right one. <laughs> not big enough. Oh, I love Danny Glover in this movie. Yeah, he is great. I also I kind of think because he, one of his police chief. So so one of the people that's his superior, I believe, also plays his police chief in the Lethal Weapon uh, movies. So I like to think that this is kind of a secret sequel to the Lethal Weapon movies that takes place in the future that eventually Murtaugh was going to have to deal with some predators. Uh, so <laughs> if, you, if you don't mind, I can kind of... Oh, sorry, Rick, oh, no, same producers, right? So Joel Silver and... Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, this movie actually has a bunch of Lethal Weapon alums. Gary Busey is also sure. in Lethal Weapon 1. Uh, the guy that you're talking about, that sergeant at the beginning, Sorry, someone just drove by on a motorcycle. That sergeant through your apartment. Yeah, he just drove through the apartment. That sergeant from the beginning wearing the hat, Steve Cahan. Yeah, he's the uh, the captain in all four Lethal Weapon movies. Mel Gibson uh, plays um, one of the Jamaicans. Actually, that's, that's not that's not that's not actually true. <laughs> that would be you can, horrible. You can edit that part out. No, it's staying. Uh, it'd be like it'd be like uh, Dan Aykroyd in uh, Trading Places, but if you could tell that Dan Aykroyd actually hates Jamaicans. <laughs> and doesn't just find them comical. That's why the dude's accent was so weird. Mel Gibson was throwing it. <laughs> Shoot happens. <laughs> that was Mel Gibson. He was, he's really method. Yeah. But yeah, there's a bunch of Lethal Weapon alums. Yeah, because it's uh, producers. And one thing I wanted to note about Danny Glover, he's not Murtaugh in this. He's Riggs. He's always throwing himself headfirst into shit. He doesn't really like have a family to go home to. Like He's not playing it conservative. He doesn't have any I'm too old for this shit style stuff. He sort of reminds me of a reporter in a movie where he doesn't seem to have a, an internal life, like a home life. He only 
only has the streets, which is kind of funny. Like, we never see Danny Glover's apartment. Yeah. We never see any of the other cops' apartments. Like, they're always working. Yeah. Very much like, yeah. No one goes home. Too much stuff um, is happening. Yeah. Like, this movie does go pretty quick. I will say this. Um, I was reminded of it watching this movie. Is that I don't think there's anyone else in the movie business that is better at breathing heavily, mumble whispering to himself under his breath. Like, Danny Glover is the best at that. If you need that for your movie, get Danny Glover. Yeah, he's got he's got this sort of harried effect in a lot of these movies. He's, he's he really amps it up for like the the first Saw movie where he doesn't seem to be able to make it through a sentence without breathing heavily. Uh, he's got this sort of harried effect through his career. It's sort of like he's taken lessons from Murtaugh, but not <laughs> not necessarily always playing the same character. He's always either tired or or exhausted. He's, yeah, well, it's just the way it, it, I assume it's not in the script because he does it in so many movies where he's just kind of doing that. All right, I guess he went up there. Oh, I don't want to have to climb up there. Like he does that in this movie a lot. And I love it. Like I'm not being sarcastic. It adds a sense of naturalism to his performance. Like when he runs a long way, uh, it's not because he's too old for this shit in this movie. Like you can make that age determination by seeing it. And I think that was what they were trying to do with, hey, if we can't get Arnold Schwarzenegger, let's put a real person in this. Uh, and that's kind of some of the point of the Lethal Weapon movies, too, is that Riggs is the larger-than-life character and Murtaugh is the person who's just a cop trying to do his job. So, yeah, when you when he runs a lot of ways, when he runs far, he gets tired. When he's trying to piece things together to himself, he kind of whispers to himself. Like, I, I think I think one of the reasons I love Danny Glover as an, as an actor is that he adds those kind of naturalistic touches that make you identify with what he's doing, even if it's a movie like Predator 2 and he's chasing after, you know, invisible aliens. Yeah, he looks he looks really good in this. That was another reason I said he's more of a Riggs than a Murtaugh in this, because he there's a scene where he takes off his shirt in the police station, and Danny Glover, I mean, he's no Arnold, obviously. He's no Mr. Universe, but he clearly got into some form of shape. Like, he looks way better in this than he did in any of the Lethal Weapon movies. Like, he, And that's, I mean, that's better for all the roles. In the Lethal Weapon movies, he's sort of supposed to be like a over-the-hill dad type. He clearly took the challenge of like, I'm going to be the ass kicker that takes down this ultimate killer and uh, got in shape for the role, which is, is pretty impressive for a guy that easily could have phoned this this role in. I, totally yeah, I also like to think that Peter watches the Lethal Weapon movies just <laughs> going, hit the gym, Danny. Jesus. <laughs> I totally agree with the aspect of his commitment to the role and stuff, but it, it's a little funny when uh, there's the one scene where they first um, see the guy hoisted 30 feet up or 40 feet up and uh, his sidekick's like, nobody could have got him up there. You couldn't have got him up there. As it's, it seems like it was written for someone much bigger than Danny Glover. Yeah. It, it just rings a little funny. I was like, well, yeah, of course he couldn't have got him up there. He's Danny Glover. Like, why would he do that? <laughs> that that's so true. They, they said at one point that they wanted Arnold to come back and I think they wanted him back basically in the Gary Busey role or something similar to that. One of the military guys, not the actual lead. Huh. At least... I'm glad that didn't pan out because Gary Busey terrific. Yeah, he's terrific in this. I think that's what they, they wanted with him in one of the more military roles, not necessarily the lead guy because it doesn't make sense for Dutch to have made it out of the jungles and then end up as like a street cop. Like it would have been a weird, a weird way to do 
do a sequel, right? Yeah. Isn't, Isn't that, that how you get demoted from special ops? They put you on the beat. Yeah. It's a natural <laughs> digression. Yeah. Like I don't know if you, like I don't know if you guys know this, but like when you serve in the Rangers, they pull you for like you're only active for like months a year, like sometimes three months a year, and then they send you off to train and depressurize. Like how shitty would it be if all of a sudden you got home from losing your whole team of like the best commandos in the world, and then you're like, oh well, they reassigned me to uh, fighting the cartels in LA. So uh, yeah, I guess they just want me till I'm dead. Welcome to the war. Yeah, <laughs> nobody well, nobody retires. Hey kid, welcome to the war. Yeah, I quoted that line because that I feel like that's this movie's tagline. Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. If the other if the other one was the from the original Predator, if if it bleeds, we can kill it. This was welcome to the war. <laughs> <laughs> So, before, I, as long as we're talking about cast members a little, I do want to talk about Bill Paxton because this is one of those movies that you watch and you go, is he a good actor? Because... <laughs> <laughs> Um, he is so bad in this movie. Like, I love Bill Paxton. But sometimes I'm not sure if it's because certain directors know how to use him very effectively. And so he's good in those movies. But, like, whatever this was, it's like he's a cop trying to be a terrible stand-up comic. Yeah. Um, and if that was if that's what he was trying to do, then, he, you know, he nailed it. But, like, he's, 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 you know, they're traveling on the subway and he's like, what's the deal with the subways? And like, but he's he's doing a bad job for a '90s or '80s stand-up comedy. Yeah. Like, I I don't know if he's a good yeah, actor or a lot of people have figured out how to use him effectively can, because he is just a piece of garbage in this movie. Can we talk for a second about his intro scene? Uh, I don't know if you guys remember. So the first time you meet him, they're they're coming in after all this discovery, and they they go through. First of all, there's the whole crazy outside scene outside the the cop station, and the crazy scene inside the cop station. Fights breaking out. It's all the war, right? So, bad news. And then there's Bill Paxton talking to some person who's typing, some woman who's typing, and he's telling her a story about golf. I don't, it's like some supposed to be, I think, a charming anecdote about how he hit a golf ball really far, and she's like looking really amused and into it, like he's being sexy. I don't know, it's very strange. Yeah, yeah. apparently his shtick works on uh, women kind of often, because he also, with a single glance, picked up a woman at a bar later in the sure. movie. Yeah. Alright, so I can see Bill Paxton being, he's not like a hideous dude or something. I could see him being charming under the, the right circumstances, but it is not this. <laughs> yeah, and he, he sidles in, you know, he's like, oh, can I cut in? This is my sister. And he's like, oh, you're not my sister. That's supposed to be like a hilarious pickup line, I guess. It's fucking creepy. It's really weird. I don't no, know. Girl, girls love it when you just yell stories at them yeah. really loudly. <laughs> and then I hit this golf ball. You got, oh, wait, you got to, see, the one thing you got to understand about hitting a golf ball, I don't understand what it was all about. <laughs> it, 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 it is like the director told him, hey, you know your character in Aliens? Bigger. <laughs> <laughs> the girl throws a drink in his face and I just want him to come back and be like, so, so like when you're having sex with a girl, she can call you daddy and like, you go up to her and you call her your sister and she throws a drink in your face. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> People just don't like me. Um, <laughs> My little name is likable. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's so weird though seeing this in such close proximity to a simple plan where he was really good at everything that he, he did a, and he like he's, really he's good in that like sort of conservative sort of role yeah and he's Relatively. you know he is good at aliens he definitely plays a big role but it works in the context of the movie and then like you remember oh yeah he's he's good in stuff like Apollo 13 which is you know the exact opposite of a big overblown action or uh 
movie. And then you see him in stuff like this. And, I, and this is not the first time I've thought this. I can't think of any examples off the top of my head where I'm just like, you got really lucky. <laughs> well, okay, so, so this is a situation where I it challenges my ability to judge movies uh, independently because I realized in his death scene on the train, which is, by the way, a really terrific scene. I mean, Yo, it's yeah, got let's, some logistic- let's save that for scenes. That is one of my favorite yeah. scenes in the movie. It's got some logistical problems, but it's a great scene and they drag it out just long enough that like, you know, he's going to, his murder is going to be really fucking horrible. And it is. And when he was about to go down, I felt bad for him. And it made me realize how hard it is to judge things within a, a pseudo vacuum. I all of a sudden realized I was like, Oh, it's not that I don't want him to die. It's that I don't want Hicks to die. <laughs> I don't want his character from aliens to die right now. I don't want uh, his character from simple plan to die. Like it's really hard to separate the sort of uh, over enthusiasm that uh, a, a couple really great performances can give you. Like I really love him in near dark also. Um, so I was, I was like kept giving him chances throughout the movie to be good. Cause he is so terrible in this and he's supposed to be some sort of comic relief character. And like Rick uh, astutely pointed out, he is never funny <laughs> ever. And, and it's funny cause like he would have been a perfect sort of cocky asshole that walks into the situation and then gets torn apart uh, and act at, at the top of the first act and then you feel bad for him because you're like he didn't even know what he was getting into instead you're just so annoyed with him I shouldn't feel conflicted when I see somebody getting torn apart by an objectively evil alien <laughs> yeah I, I do think that this is a very this is a major breakthrough for your therapy that you have trouble separating uh, fantasy from reality Peter um, and think that everyone is uh, all their characters all the time so that's as this is a form of your therapy that's very good um, more seriously th- there's even that scene too where he is obviously that joke's getting cut out um, <laughs> there's just silence <laughs> are you guys on mute like, <laughs> <laughs> oh. 20 seconds oh. later no we weren't on mute anyways there's that scene where he's uh, they're at the medical examiner and he's like Charlie Chaplining his way through yeah. he's like whoops I dropped all this medical stuff <laughs> <laughs> Does he literally drop a heart in a jar? Yeah, yeah and, and it breaks, and like the medical examiner rolls her eyes, like, uh, like this, this guy you know again. Medical, ex- yeah, this is the guy that breaks all my evidence. <laughs> yeah, and it's actually to follow up on what Peter was saying. It's kind of a structural problem too, because they, they introduce him as the Lone Ranger. It seems like they're setting him up to be exactly what you were describing. He's going to have a, a tragic first act death. Didn't know what he was getting into, but he becomes this fucking just awful comic relief that is last three entirely. It's kind of fine because the reason that I really love Lethal Weapon 2 and 3 and I'm forgiving of 4 is because the audience is as annoyed with Joe Pesci as all of the characters around him. There's a couple scenes in this movie where Danny Glover's character is making fun of Bill Paxton and sending him off to like go do tasks just to keep him busy and keep him away. Like if they had more of that shit where they're like even the characters don't fucking like you. Uh, he would have been easier pill to swallow. Yeah, um, like more of are... the parts where like Maria uh, Alonzo's character kind of grabs him and is like, hey, you better knock this shit off if we're going to be partners.
nerves. Grabs him by the nuts. Exactly. Straight nut grab. She's so good in this movie. Before we move off of Bill Paxton, I will say, though, that the death scene's really good, but when the way that the Predator uh, celebrates killing Bill Paxton, that's what the scene where he's on top of the building uh, holding his uh, spinal cord connected to his skull and screaming triumphantly. It, it feels like he had been watching the movie and was like, <laughs> I, I ended this for everyone. Like, whoever kills Bill Paxton in real life should celebrate the same way. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> it's gonna happen. It's a, mean, it's a mean joke, but it's it's fair. Someone is bound to just walk up to him one day and just, you know, tear his skull right from his body, spine and all. <laughs> like, hey, you want to hear about golf? No! <laughs> Where did the tradition of taking someone's head and their spine with it come from? Like, how far back did that this, go? This, this is the first time I remember seeing it. Yeah. Like, 1990? Mortal Kombat was 95 movie in, like, 92 for the game? Yeah. Yeah, it reminds me of Mortal Kombat in this. That's all I can come up with. I think there was a brief scene in uh, Sunset Boulevard, but it got cut. <laughs> <laughs> that's, how, that's, how you, that's how William Holden's character originally died. Yeah, yeah. They, should, they, had, to, they, had, to, they had to change it to get, get the rating. He's just yep. floating in the pool without a head, and then she's just dragging his head behind her on his, on his spine. Norma Desmond, man. <laughs> Fucked up. But I, but I believe that the Predator kills, in the first movie, holds someone's spinal cord, right? That's not... I should know. I just watched it, but so... Yeah, uh, sounds familiar. It does sound familiar. I can't remember, though. I just watched it, too. Blog, Maybe we, we should just all go watch Predator. <laughs> <laughs> no, watch Predator 2. Way better. Yeah. The last thing I want to talk about from a bigger perspective and you is I feel like we should get out the elephant in the room. Um, I joked to Peter that we could possibly rename this podcast at some point just uh, racism, homophobia, and sexism because when you're watching a lot of old science fiction, horror, genre movies, that kind of stuff, you, you run into it. And I think this movie was uh, at the time rightfully called out for extremely insensitive depictions of black people and kind of turning them into this uh, Jamaican gang led by Big Willie, uh, who speaks in a very heavy Jamaican accent. Uh, and, and I think there's little touches, too, that bothered me watching this movie. Even when, when they show the police station and literally, I mean, they have tons of criminals in there and they're, they're, they're passing by everyone in handcuffs. And every single one of them is a person of color. Like there is, they could even think, have... I don't think so. There were a lot of like white hookers and... I mean, like, yeah, there's like a Mr. T dude that had butts a cop, but like, see, I rewound it because I was like, did, they, did I really not see a white guy in there? And I didn't see a white guy in there, so I could be wrong. I, the, Sorry, go panning on. along the uh, the outside of the station too, um, even more, just seems like people of color for real. Those are mostly black folks and Latino folks, I think. Yeah, and yeah. I think I, I mean it's great that uh, you know, hey, they made Danny Glover the the lead of this great science fiction action movie, but it's just it's that kind of it's that kind of overzealous uh, Los Angeles is going to turn to shit and it's going to be because of these people that they lay on really really thick in this movie and that I don't I don't think that this version of this movie would be made today and that's good it's progress 26 years later but when, when they pivot at the halfway point where uh, the street warfare and the gangs kind of go away that it's just about the secret X-Files type government stuff that Gary Busey's doing there's almost a sigh of relief because at least from my perspective because because it's moving away from some extremely uncomfortable depictions. Do you mind if I rant a little bit? Go nuts. <laughs> I actually disagree. Um, and I think that I, I can think of a couple defenses for 
the the racial depictions in this movie from a modern perspective and it does require some uh taking some sugar with with the arguments but uh if you'll if you'll take the journey with me so first off the i love the opening street gang stuff the battles i think they're really competently staged and i love the sort of ridiculousness of it because it reminds me of robocop where it's i don't know if it's necessarily supposed to be a realistic depiction and if it and even if its intention was to be that it fails at that it it rises into this sort of uh comic booky playing at your fears of what gangs could do in the future and a lot this is this feels like a post rodney king movie doesn't it? It, it this movie came out in 1990 i guess but uh it was pre rodney king so it shows well, you if you sort um, of under- so, sorry not to interrupt but like uh, on that point I, I think you're right but that's partially because and i i'm only uh recently familiar with it because i watched that great documentary uh oj made in america that um this this kind of racial racial tension in los angeles was like rodney king was the culmination of it yeah yeah i mean i knew about it actually strangely enough i i started reading wikipedia articles after watching strange days so art does educate people sometimes with research but, yeah research and science but uh the different gangs in the movie i actually really liked what they did with the gangs the uh beginning battle the street battle against the colombian gangs i'm guessing yeah some sort of hispanic gang Colombians. Yeah, the Colombian gang. So that's sort of pulling off of fears of what the legitimate fears of what the cartels were doing to people at the time and the the fears that those wars would start splashing further north. And then on top of that, uh, they do take a moment to show like a like a respectable Hispanic person, I want to say. I have that in big air quotes um, because it's basically like a white person that even a respectable Hispanic person. He's a shop owner. Like, oh, the bourgeois. Yeah, yeah. yeah, an entrepreneur. And then there's a shot uh, a little bit further in where they break down a door in one of the slums and it's just a shot, a really, I think, sympathetic shot of uh, a sweatshop that's just full of terrified women that all are stuck in the middle of this awful battle. So I think that first they try and endear themselves to um, sort of like the people caught in between these gang battles between the cops and, and the criminals. So I think that's like when I watch a movie like this and they at least make a well-intended spirit about the things, I kind of give it a little bit of credit because the movie is from 1990. The second half of it is there's a gangland murder later on involving the voodoo gangs. And uh, at first I was like, oh, fuck, this is going to be so racist. And then the guy takes a moment to say, I don't actually believe in any of this shit, but this is something that scares you and it scares, you know, typical society. So we're going to do it. We're going to leave all this carnage. We're going to leave all these markers. We're going to take advantage of our religion. You see, that's when he says, you know what? I believe shit happens. Uh, I'm going to spare you the the accent. Um, (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) uh, It seems like he's purposefully blowing up these sort of, the sort of stereotypical iconography to scare um, a Hispanic street gang that might be full of people with like Christian roots and white people that might be full of, you know, Christian roots. It reminded me of, the historical precedent I think that was pulling from as a sort of like 
social horror movie is Papa Doc Duvalier in Haiti. How he wasn't really, he didn't really give a shit about respecting uh, the voodoo culture of his people, but he would use uh, imagery like Baron Samadhi to uh, scare the fuck out of people and repress people. And that's more what I feel like it was pulling from. So I kind of gave the movie more leeway to be like, oh, these people are a lot of people throughout history co-opting a religion to pursue political or power goals. Um, so yeah, those those are my two defenses of the two different racial, major racial groups in the movie. Oh yeah, and also like the three main cops are all people of color. Maria Alonzo and Ruben Blades and Danny Glover and then obviously Bill Paxton is like as white as white people get. We're supposed to really, really like poor three people and then eventually grow to be endeared by Bill Paxton and uh, yeah, that's my, my sort of rant on race in the movie. I think the movie has its heart in the right place, though clearly stumbles. The delicacy is totally lost and it is but it is a movie that is yeah I, I I agree with 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 a lot of what you said I'm not gonna criticize um, the battles on the street scenes like everything's very well choreographed and even the scene when they're in the um, the apartment where uh, they're they're talking about why they're hanging the person up upside down and then the predator comes and kills it like it's all effective but I think that it's the use of the uh, the voodoo aspect and the Jamaican accents. I I think you're giving the movie a little more credit than it deserves in what it was trying to do. There are way worse examples of like ca- the casual racism that that occurred in a lot of these movies in the 80s and 90s. Death Wish three in its entirety. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I, I think that there, I mean there are a lot worse, and this one is. I agree with you for the most part. It probably had its heart in the right place, but that still doesn't make some of the choices. Uh, I think uncomfortable for a modern audience and that's a good thing that you would look at this and go oh, I wish they would have done that because they are they are, they are trying to do something that is what's the right way to put it, it it's coming from a it's, re- um, it's reductionist of culture and yeah. I, I agree with you you shouldn't do these sort of re- culturally reductionist uh, approaches to the material it's just that I found um, specific aspects of the approach um, sort of gave me more more wiggle room with my offense. Uh, I wasn't uh, I wasn't as offended by the movie as I was prepared to be initially by the depiction of these cocaine smashing Colombians and these voodoo uh, soul capturing uh, Haitians. Like I, I, yeah. Sorry. Continue. Yeah, I agree. This could have been way worse than it was. Even <laughs> based on, and I I actually was expecting worse because I I haven't seen this movie in a long time, and you know we we talk about that a lot that there is that oh I love that but you know what I wasn't as sensitive to um, issues as I should have been in high school and so when you watch a movie a bunch of times in high school and then you, you are remembering and like well I'm going to revisit this now you know 17 years later it's like ah oh, shit they got that whole voodoo gang thing how bad is this going to be am I is it going to overpower the movie and I don't think it did at all while I can still recognize that that correctly can be uncomfortable so what do you think Rick am I a racist um, I actually I'm, I'm on team Aaron here I don't know if we're, we're drawing teams but I actually think it's an interesting reading uh, that you have about it here like I can see the points but I think it also another aspect of it is how if you look at like the reductionist um, characterizations 
in their narrative function, that's one thing. When you look at them in their, their specific instances, that's another thing. There's also just this general vibe that pervades it. And the story is kind of like in this sort of stew, or the film is in this sort of stew of all these various things. So I was reading... Um, uh, you know, like uh, Roger Ebert, not necessarily the you know the be all and end all of anything. He thought it was profoundly racist, right? and uh, one of the reasons he gave was uh, that not just the you know voodoo soul capturing Jamaicans and the coke adult Colombians, but the predator itself he saw as a sort of racist caricature with his dreadlocks hmm. and the sort of like lurking in the dark notion as sort of a stand-in for a young black man. Maybe it's a stretch, hmm. but, uh, you know, that's something he saw. And that made me also think of the original Predator, which could be the whole notion of the invisibility of this this hunter who's out there to, to get the guys is part slasher film. But in the context, once you inject all this other, these aspects of race, it's not that crazy a reading to me. Um, to wonder what exactly this this fear is that it's supposed to be embodied. You know what I mean? And so that's something that was a little bit troubling to me alongside all the, uh, you know, Big Willie and his soul-capturing, ganja-smoking Jamaicans and whatever else, you know? And there's also the issue yeah. that the, the subway scene almost explicitly evokes Bernie Getz, the, you know, guy who um, gunned down a black kid on the train in the subway a couple of years prior to this coming out and they sort of make a joke about it because everyone's got a gun now. And I feel like that would have registered with New York audiences, even if we've forgotten, some of us have forgotten at this point. Um, so I just feel like there's this, the context in which all these things are interacting with each other um, is pretty heavy. Yeah, I, I agree, and I should have I should have amended my statement to say that uh, this movie was by Roger Ebert and other people called uh, super racist in 1990. This isn't just something that looks worse through the prism of time. To add on to your point, it was the the design of the Predator from the 1987 movie to this one was modified to look more urban to the point that I think Stan Winston had to make some comments on why they made those changes and that they were uh, individual characters. It might have been the director, might not have been Stan Winston, but they there was actually someone, someone heavily involved in the design of the Predator in these movies had to step forward and say... No, it's, uh, you know, it's just we're trying to make him look like individual people. It, it isn't meant to make him look more, quote unquote, urban. And yeah, Rick, I, I hadn't even considered the fact that the Predator himself might have been um, pulling off of some sort of racial imagery. And yeah, obviously, um, if the movie makes you uh, uncomfortable, I'm not saying anybody uncomfortable. I'm not saying that it is uh, that you don't have a right to be because I definitely was uncomfortable in certain parts of this movie. It's just uh, there were there would be little trigger contextual triggers that sort of like let me off the hook, um, so to speak. Whereas in movies like the Death Wish movies and Vigilante and a lot of these sort of 80s crime wave movies, I don't let the movie off the hook and I don't let myself off the hook for feeling guilty. Oh, yeah. And, and to be clear, it's not, you know, I, I enjoyed this movie. It's not it's just it's yeah. a reading I, I thought was uh, was interesting because these things are going on. And, the, you know, like even like as we were just pointing out, 
just the things in and of themselves, like with the ridiculous accents, with the, I mean, the scene where they're actually doing the soul stealing and he says, you know, fucking Jamaican voodoo magic man and smokes his fucking, you know, reefer or whatever. It's pretty ridiculous. It's pretty, uh, but he says that, he says that, he says like voodoo magic man and like he laughs to the group. Yeah. And I thought that kind of, to me, I kind of interpreted that in, in with the shit happens comment where he's like, I don't believe any of this. Okay. I'm yeah. just, I'm just, I'm just using it to scare the shit out of you people. Right. Um, and he does say, yeah, the, the I, dude says, are you trying to scare me? Cause it's working. So, yeah. But, but also, I mean, but, uh, but also like he could have just come in with like a very light sort of like French influenced accent <laughs> and, uh, and we could have been like, Oh, or like, you know, light Jamaican or Haitian accent. We would have been like, Oh, um, I'm willing to, I find this, this villain that's about to get slaughtered more interesting. He did not have to play it as this broad stereotype that has some, uh, some interesting, uh, flavors to him, to his character. He could have played it as an actual human being instead of this broad stereotype. Well, and, and, and I think that's the point is that at that point he's kind of revealing his true self. Well, so that's great that the, the, a lot of the aspects to his personality is a mask, but like he's taking off his racial caricature mask to reveal a different racial caricature. <laughs> yeah, right, so right, right. It's, it's like, that's great that that part maybe passes the test for narrative reasons, but um, it, again, that's why I don't think they were doing it for... I, I think you were giving them a little bit too much credit, and I should say, my, my opinion of this movie actually went up um, overall. Um, I love this movie, and I think... I know, Peter, I know you agree with me as we're talking about the stuff, like, the fact of the matter is if you go back to movies, you're going to find some extremely uncomfortable stuff because the times change and stuff that's okay is not okay. Okay, and that's a good thing. If you if if it's so extreme that you you can't enjoy the movie, that is an opinion I respect. From my experience, it's more just I get that that time marches on and things get better for the most part, and that's a good thing. In, in extreme cases, it would ruin my enjoyment of the movie for the most part. I'm more interested in discussing it and acknowledging it and hopefully not letting it affect my enjoyment of the movie. I don't know if that's an insensitive way to put it. I would rather talk about the problems that the, that these movies have um, while still understanding that there is a lot of enjoyment that could be gained from watching them. Sure. And there's also... Yeah, you can learn. You can, you can learn something from... I think that's a great point, Aaron. Um, and I think you can learn something from every movie. And I really did enjoy this movie as a sort of id scratching exercise and I find it a lot more interesting than the first movie um, and a lot more fun um, but yeah like like you said the you're allowed to find things you don't like and things that you really like um, and, if, and if you're watching something like this and it's not a strange little touch it's all you can think about when you're watching it then that's totally legit sorry Rick uh, what were you going to say? Yeah absolutely I mean I mean, I think, um, you know, there's you can there's something you can learn from any movie, and it, that's a worthwhile thing in and of itself. And there's also something you can learn um, about sort of the the material conditions of when it was made, and, and what audiences expected, what the ambitions of the filmmakers were, and uh, what sort of anxieties were haunting people when it was when it was being created. And I think those are all things that that you can that can be uncovered when you when you pay attention to this even if you're just also enjoying people like smearing coke on their shirts and being bizarre 
and, and flail. Um, so, I love when the guy's just like, he smashes it on his face. Yeah. Uh, buddy, I know you work for a cartel, but you're like wasting hundreds of dollars. That's right so now. much coke. Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait a second. Is that not how you do cocaine? <laughs> I was going to actually mention, Aaron, you should probably uh, change your shirt. It's a dead giveaway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh sorry. I mean, I, I was baking a lot today. Uh, uh, so why don't we, why don't we get into some scenes that we want to talk about? Um, since I think it was already mentioned, uh, I kind of want to talk about the subway scene because I think that is like when, when I mentioned earlier how they use the aspects that make the predator interesting, like his cloaking especially, and do some really fun and interesting things in this movie that they didn't do in the original. Uh, one, one of the main things I'm thinking about is that subway scene, the way, uh, besides the fact that it's a weird right wing fantasy where everyone carries a gun, uh, and we should say they were still unable to stop the bad guy yeah um, i don't think it's so, a right-wing fantasy because even bill paxton says we don't need any um rush hour rambos i think they're just commenting on the fact that all of a sudden people uh in new york and la started car- uh, concealed carrying yeah but bill, they were but bill paxton also says I, I uh, uh you know tighten your tighten your stinkers or whatever so i'm not sure we should listen to what bill paxton says. <laughs> yeah, ever. I, yeah i don't um, know if the movie is endorsing the gun stuff i think it's just finding it ridiculous like it's it's played oh, for yeah. like almost a comedy moment yeah i agree it was it was what what I was saying was a, was a joke. I make them sometimes on the podcast. Um, <laughs> don't just don't. Do I, I can stop. serious business. Um, <laughs> um, no, it, it was just funny because everyone is pat- like that. That is a very obvious parody of uh, that. That that moment almost felt like something out of the Naked Gun, where you know everyone and the baby has a gun. It did. Um, <laughs> but uh, the, the, so after that though, the scene uh, where Bill Paxton's aiming his gun at the Predator and it's uh, it's cloaked and it's it's walking through the subway and just like a train moving through fast. There's like lights that are um, almost like a strobe light flashing. On it as the light goes through the, the subway, um, and and when the light hits, you can see the outline uh, of the predator. Uh, that's that scene is fantastic, and I would say uh, probably maybe the best directed moment in the series. Probably, I mean, it's the whole sequence is is uh, just amazingly creepy. It's got a, a really nice use of light. They didn't just throw in some strobe lights and fake it. They um, they either they, I don't think they actually ran a train, but they ran something behind the train to sort of uh, fake the effect and it looks really marvelous because you can tell that if, if you've ridden public transportation underground you can tell the difference between yeah just like strobe light bullshit that they use in a lot of movies like dreamscape um, and the real deal like they use in Jacob's Ladder and uh, yeah did yeah, you I, catalog I, are... realistic subway scenes in movies at some point Peter? no like they're just thinking of movies you didn't even like... pause yeah. like to try to remember what you like you were like I got these ready to go I, yeah it, no, it, it actually is quite like examples it's quite like Jacob's Ladder. That's a really great reference. It's 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 really it's a really creepy scene where they're all stuck in there. The only my only comment is that the movie seems to be making fun of these people for all having their own guns. That makes fun of this dweeby guy for pulling out the gun, which I, I but there's only a couple guys, people that are caught in the crossfire, and it, I thought it would have they should have amped that up a little bit to be even more like these people are just making it harder for the cops to do their job, like. 
people are shooting at each other through all sorts of impossible angles and you guys have both ridden public transportation before the train is not particularly wide um i thought everybody most of wishes them did it was die what didn't most of them die that was the implication i got maybe a I'm... bunch of people do but i don't think the movie really like there are there are the movie's not really like bringing that home i would have wanted more of that chaotic sort of like you guys think that you're doing the right thing but instead you're just being assholes kind of kind of moments yeah well, uh, I, think the guy, Maria, I think the guy gets killed doesn't Maria Cushita Alonso get a bunch of them to other trains first though isn't that what happens yeah she gets she gets some of them to run yeah that's true she's awesome in this scene she looks so terrified yeah she's great yeah it's too bad she disappears from the movie after again another right wing fantasy we find out that the uh, predator is super pro-life yes um now Peter that again I, I don't actually believe that the predator has views on abortion one way or the other uh, that was also a joke can you uh, just at the end of every joke can you put a little tag just to let me know um, please really laugh it. <laughs> please please clap actually when I, when I, was, uh, Rick, I don't know if you know this but Aaron's the uh, the Jeb Bush of our podcast <laughs> yeah. well of course that would make Peter the George W. Bush which is equally insulting oh, if not worse man. Um, but yeah, actually, when I was when I was reading those reviews, there there actually was one that pointed out that uh, I think it was Rita Kempley in a positive review of the film, one of the few who uh, described the Predator as um, film as as pro pro guns and uh, pro life. That was a reading someone had. Interesting. Well, yeah, because yeah. the predator the predator does choose not to kill a child, yeah. which I think is a really interesting means of storytelling. Because it's not, um, it's not. I don't think it's really the Frankenstein moment where he's uh, all of a sudden the predator is supposed to be endeared to us that he didn't murder this child. I think it's just supposed to be that we're learning that the predator doesn't want a uh, an easy hunt. The predator wants uh, something sporting to go after. Yeah, he's he's not killing. He's he's not. Killing killing for killing sakes he is he is hunting um which the xenomorph would definitely just eat that fucking kid with the plastic gun for sure yeah yeah and i and i (laughs) i kind of want to back up for a sec because uh i know neither of you guys believe this but we should say that um not murdering uh children or pregnant women is not specifically a right-wing belief (laughs) Um, that's a belief that a lot of people share that feels like a that feels like what a right-wing person would want you to think is one of their beliefs as opposed to the opposition but yeah I I, I think that I am against as a as a very left wing person I am against killing pregnant women uh, and um, and children you went out on a limb and I respect you for it so what other scenes did you guys want to talk about um so I think we sort of discussed my favorite parts early on that sort of reminded me of Robocop Warriors Assault on Precinct 13 where there's these sort of out of control gun battles but um I did like somebody referenced it as sort of CSI. I love the idea of recontextualizing Predator as this um, serial killer where the they, they just keep showing up to scenes. Well, Danny Danny Glover just keeps showing up to scenes um, and finding the carnage, these skinned bodies, these hung bodies, these decapitated bodies, sort of commenting on them and saying like, oh, the gangs are getting really, really crazy now. And he's sort of blase about it because crime has gotten so ridiculous and so over the top that to him he's just like well if you want to be a scary gang now apparently you have to skin motherfuckers and hang them from the 
the, the rafters. Like that's, that's apparently what you got to do now. And I love that scene where they go into the, the, the chaos cartel members, uh, room and there's just all these hanging corpses and you're just like how terrifying would it be to walk into that room and be like now we have to hunt that thing Rick were there any sort of uh, scenes specifically that you liked um, you wanted to comment on yeah well uh, one thing I think we haven't touched on that I was I was hoping to talk a little bit more about was sort of like the um, the, sat- the satirical or critical aspect of the whole movie. Um, we haven't talked about oh yeah Morton Downey and his um, his show oh, yeah hardcore with Tony Pope and uh... Tony Pope. <laughs> uh, that, that I'll tell you what that's that's the most disappointing thing about the future. Wear a fucking suit. You're a reporter. <laughs> like he looks like he is on vacation. Yeah. Tony Pope. They need a dress code. Yeah, and he's, the, he's like he's network. like slamming the mayor for being up in Tahoe, but look at this guy, right? It's like a, it's like a fucking... <laughs> yeah. Totally. So there, yeah, there, there's, like, there's that aspect. Oh, go ahead. No, there's that aspect, you know, where it's this, this exploitation television, which is very much of a piece with, you know, whatever shows were going on in 1990. I don't remember what they're called, but I remember their existence in general. That, and I love, I love anything that sort of hints at, at a RoboCop level satire. Like he, Morton Downey Jr., which um, for people that aren't familiar, he was sort of a combo like Howard Stern dash talk show host who was specifically a provocateur and he like had an incident where he faked getting beaten up by an angry skinhead Nazi skinhead. Was yeah. yeah yeah he said he got beat up by a skinhead and he was a sort of a um, populist conservative type uh, pre Rush Limbaugh voice and they cast him as a uh, scum journalist in this movie that Danny Glover gets to punch out uh, to no punishment. In any other movie, Danny Glover would get like, I don't know, pulled back from fighting the Predator. uh, As far as Danny Glover being like the the rigs of this film, that's actually, I mean, before he even punches Morton Downey Jr. out, he also, when his superior officer tells him to stand down, he he has to be, Ruben Blades holds him back. So it looks like he's going to beat the (laughs) shit out of his superior officer. So he's a a live wire. He's a hot man. <laughs> yeah, I made a joke before this show. If you're trying to figure out who's in charge at that police station, we, we're going to be here very late. <laughs> so, the, so there was that. The other thing I was going to mention was just in general, um, the government conspiracy aspect was interesting to me because that whole the Gary Busey subplot um, or plot, I suppose, that aspect of the narrative. They want to figure out what he's all about is an interesting notion because Danny Glover keeps you. Know, he's like, you want to, you want to study this asshole. Like you know, he just wants to get him and get revenge for his his person his partner's death. Um, but the government wants to kind of like figure out how to deploy his weaponry, and we also find out in Predator Two that the reason the predator is there is because he's attracted. They're attracted to hot spots, as they say. They like violence. Human violence is what draws them in and sort of feed off that and I guess that plays in sort of narratively with the infrared thing I don't know maybe I'm making that up but uh, it's just kind of interesting it's It's a whole sort of meta narrative going on about the the government actually seems more interested less in stopping the killing and more in figuring out how they do it or what their cloaking device is all about presumably to use it for nefarious purposes well yeah they they basically say they want it for alien technology although obviously Gary Busey has some other reasons but I love 
it, it, it feels like this movie would have actually come out like after the X-Files because it kind of had that sense of there's this uh, government organization that's looking into the, uh, you know, aliens and paranormal and they have this whole system set up and, you know, they've kind of been there the entire time, the men in black, and they're interacting with everyone and no one really knows what they're doing. And I love that pivot in the second half of the movie to focusing on uh, Gary Busey's plan and to kind of study it. But I, but I, I love not to get into a summation of this movie, the way that this movie has so much stuff going on, I didn't even remember how big of a aspect that this whole we need to catch the predator is. Right. Um, but it feels like a natural transition. Like, it, it doesn't feel like someone tried to cram three different stories together. They do such a good job of making it feel like it's a natural a natural uh, pivot point after the gang leader dies. Yeah, I, I rewatched uh, part of it uh, today um, after watching it week or last weekend or whatever, and um, pretty fascinating when Gary Busey is first introduced uh, in the um, the guy's office in, in uh, Danny Glover's superior's office. It's a really great thing where he's kind of he's got that sneaky he knows more than he's letting on vibe going on. So it actually is like a through line through the movie. So it doesn't really feel mm-hmm. like it comes out of nowhere. Yeah, the the, the sort of uh, Aaron, I think you brought up an interesting point where it's sort of uh, X Files, uh, you know, moment when they want to capture the alien. Uh, they specifically, they want to capture the predator. Uh, it's the sort of hinting at the conspiracy theories behind like Roswell that a ship crashed there and they swept in to get the remains to, to unlock the secrets of space travel and shit. Um, and it, but it also reminded me of comic books. Like it reminded me of uh, Stryker from X-Men where he's like trying to study Wolverine to figure out what the fuck is up with him. Um, or, you know, different people within comic books that just want to capture the weirdos, capture the, the outliers and uh, kind of break them apart into pieces so that they can gain their power, which I'm, I'm, I could maybe take some mushrooms and come up with some sort of far-fetched theory on, you know, they want to take the predator and consume him and make him part of them. And, can, can, but can you do that? Really? Can we actually plan that for a future yeah. episode? In, in, in a surprise twist, that's going to be the final <laughs> segment of our show. Peter's going to take some mushrooms and explain the ending to Predator 2. Actually, 45 minutes to get warmed up. I'll meet you here about 2 a.m. <laughs> just um, let it record. Yeah, just let it record. Um, but yeah, so the, the, the sort of... Uh, that sort of tear it apart and, and to find what its, its true hole is is very interesting, but it's also, yeah, it's interesting in the sense where it's like hinting at military-industrial complex conspiracies that they sort of, sort of want to like take this technology and monetize it and turn it into something useful. But overall, the sort of ridiculousness of the movie is nice because they, they have that big battle in the beginning. You see the Predator 11 minutes in in the movie. And you see Predator Vision immediately. Yeah, that, that immediately. From the jungle get- to LA uh, is a great, first of all, that's a great little wink at the audience. Like it's going through the jungle like it did in the first movie and then immediately pans up and you show the city and then it goes right into Predator Vision. That's fantastic. Super, stuff. super I like clever. Try to make, I like when movies make arguments, like visual arguments right away when they're like the last movie was in the jungle, now it's in a new kind of jungle. Like it's making arguments that this is a compelling setting. It's not just taking for granted that uh, this just works. And not, um, not only that, but uh, you know, our complaint about the 45 minute build up in the first one is kind of ameliorated right from the get go here because we just start almost immediately seeing through the predators. It literally begins with an explosion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's a predator vision and then an explosion. Yeah. So we're going to get going. It's awesome. <laughs> 
they introduce Gary Busey as this sort of conspiratorial presence in the movie. Him and uh, who's who's the conservative Baldwin dude from uh, Firefly that's in this yeah, movie? Yeah, Adam, Adam Baldwin, who yeah, I totally Adam. forgot was in this movie, yeah. and it really explains all of his tweets about how the Predator did 9-11. <laughs> that was a joke, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, he, he's a, he and Gary Busey have their little conspiratorial ring right off the bat at the beginning of the movie. So when they show up at the end, it's uh, really great because it's sort of hinting at the first movie where you're like, let the, let the experts take this thing on. And then they, it's sort of inversing the first movie, actually. It's like, let the experts take this thing on. And then uh, they just get torn to pieces and it works because you're like, oh, you're waiting for these, these guys with tons of research resources and have been studying this thing for years. And they basically use an, ex an exposition scene later in the movie with Gary Busey to almost like show you how competent they are. And then they still get torn to pieces. Yep. Gary uh, Busey's death is like a shrug. It's just like, well, yeah, obviously he lost. <laughs> well, and you think he died earlier at Danny Glover's hand, I might add. Mm -hmm. uh -oh. yeah. <laughs> Danny Glover does not take a second to mourn. But then the way that he actually dies is just like in, in the midst of this these hunk of, hunks of meat where the Predator throws its, um, I don't know what he calls, uh, circular boomerang knife thing. Um, and then it slowly is taking out all of the uh, racks of meat that are hanging up. And then you don't even see Gary Busey die because he's uh, behind one of those. You just see kind of his torso go down and then you see a bunch of blood start dripping. That is fucking fantastic. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I have, I could make an animal rights reading of um, the corollary between those hanging chunks of meat and the upside down skin people, but I won't, uh, won't burden you with it here. So on that note, I do want to talk about the ending, though, before we start to get into any other stray observations that we have. So here's the first thing I want to say about it before uh, we discuss, and we, you guys can go back and talk about any part of the ending that you want to, but I feel like the inclusion, so when they get on the spaceship, they, they pan and they show all of the skulls that uh, are kind of decorating the spaceship, all of the prey that they killed, and they show the head or a skull of the alien from the alien series and I gotta say I still fucking love that even in a time where everything is winky and naughty and easter egg I think I think part of the reason it was so successful at the time and literally launched the alien versus predator franchise even though that didn't turn into movies until 2004 like that was where people started to get the idea for it and it kind of became a big thing because I think I think that works really well I don't think alien and predator in the same movie actually works as we saw twice those little moments especially at the time I remember watching it and just being like oh holy shit that's so cool and I, I'm sure that's what we talk about moments that make you f leave the f theater feeling like you have something you, you want to talk about I can't imagine a better way to get kids in 1990 to go holy shit did you see that alien skull yeah yeah I actually wish wish it was bigger I wish that there were more crazy skulls and not necessarily from other franchises but like if Guillermo del Toro had directed this movie he would have had like a hundred unique strange skulls on the, on the wall like it, it was sort of a shabby little co collection <laughs> um, <laughs> but I wish that I wish that there were more of that because I love the little trophy scene and I feel like the alien being in there is a really clever way to hint at um, 
yeah, this sort of larger universe. Oh, absolutely. I, I think it's it's probably like the my favorite scene rewatching it now, just because it's like it does open up this imaginative um, world where it's you you uh, you can construct this whole backstory visually or from from the visuals you can construct a sort of narrative backstory and it's uh it's fascinating it adds a whole bunch of depth to um to the whole goings on um i loved it yeah i think it's also a good reason for why don't don't turn your clever easter eggs into an actual movie yeah no it it should have been it should have just been left as skulls on the wall for sure yeah and and, and it it sort of felt like a proto every movie now every superhero movie feels like it's its last act is blowing itself up to open itself up to franchises and this is blowing itself up to a wider head canon universe not Mm -hmm. a a wider um franchise universe necessarily well i think that's why the the concept as a whole is is so good is because and why this i think is a very successful sequel is because it's not you, you don't need any of the same characters whether those characters are human or predators you you just need to create a scenario that works as a plot on its own uh in the first one a commando movie in the second one just kind of a, a gritty urban uh crime movie and then you go and say i'm going to insert a predator into that and how does that change what's going on like this this is one of the more malleable premises that I think that you could have from a uh, intellectual property and the idea that they then went to the Predator world, which I, I do like that movie, but I think that's one of the least interesting things you could have done with it. Um, and had them fight aliens, I think are like, they had a great franchise starter and didn't know what to do with it. And part of the reason for that is because in 1990, no one was thinking on those terms. But to this day, you could easily go and say, Old West Predator. Like, let's craft a really good uh, Western and then throw Predator. What if the Predator predator guy uh, caught up with Jack the Ripper? What if he was Jack the Ripper? (laughs) Think think about that. So anything else we want to talk about the ending or do you you guys want to go to any stray thoughts that you had? Yeah, the the ending is is interesting because it's specifically... Um, it gives you what you want, which uh, Danny Glo- So the, the concept of the movie is that his team gets picked off one by one, essentially. And the end of the movie gives you what you want. Uh, Danny Glover gets to get revenge um, on the specific predator who was hunting him and hunting his team and took out all the Marines and literally beheaded uh, Bill Paxton. Uh, he, he got to get his revenge. And then they have this moment where the hero has to be humbled right after he's gotten his victory, which is a really clever way to subvert victory in a movie. And I think people don't like that. I think they like the Die Hard ending where, or the Lethal Weapon ending where uh, Lethal Weapon's probably more specific, uh, where not only is, are all the bad guys dead or in jail, but uh, everybody is, everybody is al- uh, that we care about is alive and they're all friends and, you know, Christmas dinner is going to be served soon. Like this movie is specifically subverting that where Danny Glover got to be the better hunter, but he lost everybody they cared about in the end. And he still didn't really get the victory over the predators by, by not murdering him. They were showing more dominance over him. 
Like, if you kill something that's a threat to you, you let something live that doesn't matter to you. Like, if you see an ant crossing, crawling across the floor, you're just like, whatever. But, like, they showed him a little bit of respect, and then they kicked him out. The only thing I don't like about that is that they also tried to kill him with the ship blasting off. It's not really how you treat a champion. Give him they're like, just they're, they're just discourteous. They're like, they probably blasted off and were like, oh, shit. Do you remember their spaceship? <laughs> Gives off exhaust. Oh, we might have been real dicks. That could have been. A, uh, yeah. we're we could have really that sweet scene. Happens. We have that sweet scene where he watches the spaceship fly away. We could have the the, the super eight close encounter scene where he watches the ship fly away and is like, you, but instead he's like, you motherfuckers, um, <laughs> without having that one last shot of him having to run away from the ship. There's little touches about the third act I don't like, but the broad strokes I love. Yeah, what do you what do you guys Rick, what think? do you guys think Danny Glover does after the movie's over? Like where does he go? What happens? I would go to a bar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool it has been a long bar. day. I, yeah, I would take a shower too. It's been 109 degrees. Serious. Yeah. <laughs> also, you are covered in blood, your shirt's destroyed. Like you're not getting you're right. You're not getting into a bar. Yeah. I work in a bar. I wouldn't let blood so 190 109 degree Danny Glover coming. Hey, whoa, hey, were you killing predators? Oh, oh, you were. <laughs> Well, that case. Different policy. Entirely different policy. No, um, no I don't really have any other any other uh, particular thoughts. I do. I think the ending works. I, I actually, watching it again, I was, uh, I kind of got like tensed up. I felt like a little kid there for a second, where it's kind of like, oh shit, there are a bunch of predators. That, that can't be good. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Then it, it definitely subverts that, where the whole thing turns. And it does feel like a little bit even more menacing. Oh, they're actually in control of this. They're not, they could kill him, but they're probably just going to come back later, which is worse, you know, so. Um, so, we, we can talk about any final thoughts or uh, more specifically final, like, stray observations that we didn't get a chance to talk about. Uh, the, only th- the only thing that I want to bring up is my other problem with this movie, and it's actually a problem with the first one, too, so this is not, like, a sequel problem, but, like, the Predator having a potty mouth is groan-inducing and not, like, in a fun way. Um, it's just... It's just so dumb that he says, like, shit happens in his predator voice and, uh, I think, motherfucker at some point. Motherfucker, yeah. Because uh, he's learning. Yeah. Um, and, and the first one had this problem, too, because uh, that laugh that the predator gives at the end before he blows himself up is, like, the worst part of the third act in that movie, too. It's just a strange choice. And I do, besides besides the idea of some 13-year-old going, the predator said a bad word. I love it. I, it's just so fucking stupid. And I did, like though when he does the voice I did like when he takes the little kids saying want some candy he says that during the subway scene and I thought that was a creepy way to use the predator's ability to like steal our language I thought that was kind of clever that works better without the mouth moving though I think like when he's just yeah, like yeah that's true yeah the helmet is still on yeah and again he's he's using it for a reason no, he's, he's using it to crack it up from South Park yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's, it's really bad you're right what well, else do you guys any, any other little moments that we didn't talk about that you guys want to discuss before we wrap this baby up no I'm, pre- I'm pretty uh, good I, I mean well no I was going to talk about the, the dearth of uh, female characters in this weird machismo world but that's probably a long conversation but it is a, it is a thing there's what uh, Maria Alonso and that woman who's like frantically fucking the Colombian dude those are the only two women I think in the movie <laughs> 
<laughs> that's true. The movie is not heavy on women. Yeah. It, it, it's kind of a weird thing considering that the one woman that they have is a Maria Alonso type where she just kicks ass. Yeah. She doesn't let dudes subjugate her. And she also gets to be human, though. She's not some, but like, all- James Cameron robot where she just, like, murders dudes and, like, she's just basically a man. She's, she's basically she's- a man. That's exactly right. She, uh, you know, she not only grabs uh, Bill Paxton's balls, but when they are in the bar, she's like, uh, how are your balls? And he's like, fine, how are yours? They're pretty explicit about it. She's, yeah, she's I, a I guess it is sort of a James Cameron thing when I think about it. Like, the where de- James Cameron, in order to strengthen women, he defeminizes right. them, which I think is, like, again, a, a good intentions, but not necessarily good execution. Yeah, yeah. it's, that, it's old- that idea of how do I make a strong woman character? I'll, I'll just pretend that she's a man. Yeah, like, that's, that's why. That's not, that's not the right way to do it. Yeah. So, yeah. real quick thing. Um, I We addressed a lot of the sort of meme complaints about this movie. The, the alien skull, the fact that the aliens let them live in the end, uh, the sort of not truly substantial complaints about this movie, but uh, one of the substan- one of the uh, meme complaints about this movie is it doesn't have Arnold. I didn't miss him at all. It would have been fun to have him in a third act cameo, basically as like the Gary Busey character. Like that would have been fun. But to have him, I, I we got a, I think this is an ideal sequel. We got a new setting. We got to learn more about the Predators. It made the universe feel bigger and not smaller. If, if Arnold had come back, the universe would have felt a lot smaller. Um, yeah. And, and I, I, I'm glad I saved this for the end of the podcast. I love Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's done a great, a lot of great movies. I even think he gets too much shit for his acting um, because I think he does a very good job of doing exactly what the movie requires. I think he is fucking terrible in the original Predator. Seconded. Yeah. Co-signed. Yeah. I don't think he's terrible, but I think he's bad. I think like Conan is is him and his his peak where his physicality gets to be used as a a true asset for him and that his his, uh, sort of blunt inability to express subtlety is actually a, a positive uh, Conan I think is his best early performance and I think like Commando and Predator are both like extremely flawed performances in a lot of his early roles yeah I, I didn't miss him in the slightest in fact I rewatching Predator you know just like the sheer onslaught of uh, <clears throat> bodybuilder types and kind of hammy acting and stuff really I was really in Predator 2 that you know, Danny Glover is actually he's a, he's a good actor. He's got nuance to him. Jesse Ventura does not. Yeah, yeah. And, and also he's a capable underdog. Yeah, like he he has no right to stand up to this fucking thing, and then he does it. Like it's way more dramatically compelling. I think this yeah, way. Yeah, agreed. And you, I should mention that uh, one of the one of the weirdest bits of trivia I found out from this movie was that this movie was originally written because, or not not Predator Two, but the original Predator. The the reason that the series exists is because there was a joke going around Hollywood that the next Rocky movie would feature him fighting an alien and the screenwriters thought that was so funny they wrote a movie around it and that became Predator. Fascinating. That's awesome. Uh, That's awesome. My, my trivia which you may know is uh, Bill Paxton is the only person to be killed by a Terminator, an alien, and a Predator. So, that's so rad. Yeah. 
And yeah, he gets no, killed I, by I did not know that. Although it makes sense the second you say it. It's like, oh, yeah. yeah. And he gets killed by a vampire near dark. Yes. We should just make a list uh, of all the things that kill Bill Paxton, since that's apparently the theme of this episode. <laughs> yeah. In simple plan, this, this money kills a, his soul. Yeah, this, this <laughs> took a dark turn from all the accolades we gave him in a simple plan. Like, yeah. I hope someone murders him and raises his head above a street. <laughs> With um, his spine still dangling. Yeah. So, final, yeah, final thoughts. I think I... Um, I mean, like, I, I, I think it's been clear. I fucking love this movie. I think it does not get enough love. I think um, if, if you're thinking about watching Predator, you should uh, check yourself. Um, can, I, can I, we edit that out right now? Um, uh, no, but you should, you should watch Predator 2 instead. I, I imagine it's a perfect sequel at a time when for the most part franchises were terrible about churning out samey sequels and they took a premise and made it so much better I agree I think uh, yeah. I think um, it has a lot of lessons about how to make how to go about making a sequel to, um, to a successful thing even if it's you know I guess it failed so maybe it doesn't but to make an interesting one in my opinion yeah I agree I agree with Rick I think this is an example of how to do a sequel I think that the Alien franchise took it in an interesting way where each movie is kind of its unique little little identifier but um, it had the same budget as the first movie it took it to a new location it tried to see what the it explored what the limits of this particular monster are which is a much better way to do this than uh, trying to rehash like if they had set the next Predator movie as like another thing in the jungle I, I can't imagine like Arnold still getting hunted in the jungle I can't imagine that movie being not trash so um, thank you so much for being on the podcast work this was a ton of fun uh, where can people find you uh, LudditeRobot.com is uh, my website visit me there there's also links on the site to follow on Facebook and Twitter and what have you and uh, that's pretty much it or you could just like come to my neighborhood and, um, and we can grab a drink and talk definitely check that out and thank you so much again for joining us on our first theme month Alien Reinvasion we're going to continue that theme month with next week we are going to cover Alien Resurrection uh, I don't know how that episode's going to go we have not pre-recorded it uh, and then the following week we'll be talking about Species 2 which is a movie I am very interested in revisiting uh, I used to call it one of my favorites in the sense that it was a, a it's a terrible movie but by by most objective standards but is a shit ton of fun I haven't seen it in 15 or 16 years so I don't know what I'm gonna come I, I don't I don't know where I'm gonna stand at the end of this because uh, I can think of some potentially troubling parts of that movie and I don't know if it does them in fun goofy ways or terrible so um, I, I'm excited to revisit that one and a little scared um, and then our final uh, episode of the Alien Reinvasion Month is going to be Superman 2 we're gonna be doing the uh, Richard Lester cut uh, and Zach Groton is going to be on the show. Zach Groton who does all of our artwork um, which you might see on the SoundCloud uh, link and on our website WLTWpodcast.com WLTW is we love to watch just so you guys know. And, uh, in case yeah. you're terrible at the alphabet. In case you're terrible at the alphabet. And uh, I think uh, Zach and uh, Aaron and I will have a groat time. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha
Ouch, did that hurt? Did it hurt you? I, w- I want to be clear, Rick. There was a long delay, and then Rick laughed. I'm still not laughing. I, I was trying. I was trying so hard to be quiet during the whole outro. And, yeah. <laughs> I hope that hurt everybody involved. It hurt. I think uh, wherever Zach is right now, he probably grabbed his chest, and I'm like, it was like, am I having a heart attack? <laughs> And then in August, we'll be doing Killbillies, which is redneck horror movies. We have some great guests lined up for that. Um, and then Peter already mentioned where you can find us at WLTWpodcast.com. Uh, where else can you find us, Peter? Um, we also have a, uh, a Facebook group. It's just called We Love to Watch Podcast. And uh, yeah, it's at Facebook.com slash We Love to Watch. We also have a Twitter, WOTW Pod. Um, and we're still figuring out what to do with both of those formats. Uh, Facebook, I think, will be the more fun of the formats because uh, we can sort of kick off conversations. We might end up holding polls eventually there for uh, which movie uh, we're going to be doing for a specific theme month, which theme month we're going to do. So uh, make sure you, uh, if you like the podcast, like the the show on um, Facebook, because I think that that's where a lot of the the more active conversations on the show are going to be happening. So, Um, So thank you so much for listening everybody uh please join us again next week hope you have a good night yeah good night everyone see ya thanks